Hello and welcome to Hero with a Thousand Potions, a gaming podcast where two 30-something gamers examine the storytelling and gameplay of popular and niche RPGs. It's like a book club where realizing economic revolution will earn you magic gems and sunglasses. Indeed. This is season one and we're talking about Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition. My name is Tyler. And I am uh, Shulk. I can say Shulk now and it won't get destroyed by whatever device i'm talking into great stuff nate as we've implored you for the last 24 25 episodes you can join us on this adventure by playing xenoblade with us we are exploring xenoblade chronicles definitive edition chapter by chapter this episode is part two of the final chapter now we just did the the preamble cutscenes in the previous episode this is going to be the end game where we're kind of cut loose to wrap up as many uh loose ends as we please and then the following episode will be the stunning conclusion with a big conclusion big big titanic xenoblade conclusion as only takahashi can provide yeah it's been nice to take a break from the big conclusions and big revelations and big things happening left and right and just so true ground level bullshit yes and by bullshit i mean actual gameplay and fun yes but uh yeah it's it's been it's been pretty great nate how are you feeling today i'm doing all right i am we talked a few weeks ago or a few episodes ago about new additions to your setup and your capabilities as a game liker. And uh, I uh, just in the mail this week, I got a new microphone and uh, arm to hold said microphone. And I'm no longer have a, a microphone sitting on stacked up on three collector's edition world of warcraft boxes <laughs> to to make it to my face i'm no longer hunched over my desk because obviously those boxes can't cascade up towards my face so those are gone and i'm now just sitting comfortably in a chair with a mic up in front of my mouth and uh looking at my notes as needed but coincidentally sitting on my desk is also a brand new unopened world of warcraft dragonflight collector's edition box that came today so i'm excited to crack that open i already know what what's in all of it and you know there's there's not really an air of mystery because they tell you right off the bat but i've started buying the i bought the old collector's edition boxes and then i stopped when they switched to digital only because i figured hey this is convenient and regretted it years later because i have income now and resources whereas at a 20 year old i didn't mm -hmm. i've gotten back in the habit of buying these so that i don't have to spend insane amounts of money later to get them after the fact how many limited edition wow boxes do you have i have uh wrath of the lich king and cataclysm those were i played from the beginning but those wrath of the lich king was a time like where it stopped just being a social experiment game that everybody played because you just had to and i was actually like holy shit this game is awesome <laughs> so uh that was the first time i was like yeah I, i'm getting the collector's edition and then cataclysm didn't turn out to be my favorite in the world but i was riding that wrath of lich king train at the time so i got cataclysm and then after that i was like all right i'm i'm out so i don't have the the next one i have is battle for azeroth because i was kind of back on the hype train at that point because legion was so good and i don't have the legion collector's edition so um yeah it, ultimately someday i might just try and collect them all but 
it's kind of um it has to do with how invested in the game i feel at that time you'll display them proudly in the background of your uh twitch cam feed exactly they're on a bookshelf now but i i can probably find a spot to toss them up a little bit more visible outstanding nate in my case i had covid the other week i have this is the second time i've had covid the second time was i'm gonna say worse uh, then the first time I did have a sensation of difficulty breathing and pain in the chest uh, for a single afternoon. And I know both of those are symptomatic of COVID pneumonia. And so I thought, whoop, okay, well, we're going to go home. Or I, was, I was, wasn't I was working at the office. I was working from home. But I thought, no, I'm going to stop working from home too and actually just lie down for the afternoon. But since then, been feeling great. Babies doing good. What else can I tell you? I got my initial COVID shot and they've recommended getting boosters, but... I just keep getting COVID since then. So uh, my my wife gets it because she's on a boat filled with people and then she brings it home to me. And uh, so I, I haven't gotten any boosters to negate the effects, mm-hmm. but usually it's pretty smooth sailing for me. I'm sure now that I put that out into the ether, it's the next ones are just murder me and podcast over. Please no, please no. We don't want that. I'll try. Okay. I'll try. The nature of this episode is going to look a little different than typically because Nate and I are cut loose to do all this questing, do Colony 6 stuff, to level as we please, heart to hearts, and uh, and other things like that in Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition endgame sort of stuff. Oh, and it's impossible that Nate and I will have the same layout of notes because it's an open world at this point, and, and so we're going to try to constrain that into a episode format that'll make sort of sense as we go through, but we also reserve the right to chase tangents kind of as we please. But generally, we're going to picture um, how we leveled, quests, um, we investigate some special areas, some tombs, and heart, talk about Heart to Hearts, and then of course Colony 6, our great big resource and money sink for this game here. Exactly. How do we begin, Nate? I decide I'm going to get back on the horse when it comes to Colony 6, and I'm poking around, and wouldn't you know, I find an Inquisitor Assassin, the the masked people from Alchemoth that tried to kill us when we were going to go help Melia out. Mm-hmm. One of them is passed out near the gate, kind of north of Colony 6. Yeah. Upon approaching her, it's Tyria, if you remember who that is. Yes, she uh, conspired with Eumea and Larithia to assassinate Melia in the Alchemoth and Sea chapters. So yeah, she is uh, passed out nearby Colony 6, and um, this prompts a scene where the group takes her back to Junks for treatment. Now, I know Junks has Lenata as its doctor, but do they treat absolutely everyone there? I thought the initial thing was she knew how to treat Fiora because Fiora is also Machina, so to speak. But now we're just treating anyone here, so. There wasn't any firewood nearby to build a campfire in that very moment, and so we took her to the HQ. Yeah, exactly. And maybe that's where Sharla does her healing at this point because as we discussed last episode junks is in colony six now Uh, it is portable it can go between uh fallen arm and colony six and you will never see either one of them without a present junks at this point yeah they're tracking your phone data via facebook and they know where you are at all times and they're just they're gonna be there so i can kind of sum up the story by i don't know if you have more details you want to throw in but tyria is you 
Maya's daughter, the first consort, the shit stirrer in Alchemoth that wanted it was trying to get Melia murdered by Telethia and Machna Forest. We're pulling way back to it seemed like deep into the game at that point, but it's relatively early into the game, perspective wise, that all of those events happened. So Tyria is Yumea's daughter. She was raised as an assassin because the second consort system wouldn't have allowed Tyria to become empress. They they were always going to favor somebody that had the whole Homs dilutation of blood going on. She doesn't want anything to do with us. Yeah, she's still got her edgy, kind of interpreting her mom's prejudices as a member of that, I, I would assume, Bionite order at this point. The strict adherence to the will of Bionis. The, we've been through this whole thing through Lorithia now. We kind of see that Lorithia was the one spearheading all of those efforts, so this is kind of the leftovers of the Lorithia conspiracy. Yeah, and it's a damn shame too because we're living in the post Hyentia apocalypse and in a time like now, survivors, you know, getting along with one another is more important now than ever. But these old habits and these old prejudices die hard and uh, Tyria, uh, you know, d still despises Melia and she fucks off. But how she fucks off is rather interesting. You kind of said it like it's, it's kind of a shame. I don't mean this, I don't mean to say this in like a creepy or weird way but she's essentially what's a very little amount of breedable high entia stock in the world if you don't want your race to die out and you've only got a handful of them left i don't mean this in like a like forced way or whatever but essentially you know that whole aversion she has to mating with homs and keeping the bloodline pure and everything in the current state of things and the reality of what that adherence to strict Bionis worship, the, the results of that are now apparent in that your entire society was completely devastated from that belief system. So you would think that she would kind of have an eye-opening moment that it's time for change, but she's not there yet. No, and this gives us a... She, so she flies off, and she flies off with her authentic high Entia headwings. <clears throat> Excuse me. We thought these were vestigial, and like we, we know that Melia's headwings are diminutive and definitely vestigial. But even the proper Hyentias that have longer headwings, that the, you probably don't fly with them. Wrong. Tyria flies with them. I'm gonna go with our typical explanation of the ether did it because she's not giving them like a sizable flap that you can like see the heft of being able to carry a I'm gonna I'm gonna call her at 110 110 pounds mm -hmm. maybe a hundred I'm not seeing that from that wingspan and size capability so I'm gonna go with you flap the wings and it releases invisible ether into the air that is capable of doing that either that or high into have bird bones that are weightless and maybe she's like a a 20 pound woman so uh, yeah she flies off that's the only time we see a high antia fly yes other than riding on a ship so following that we're prompted with a quest to chase her down and i forget how the 
quest sort of pans out. So there's discussions of what to do next with Hyria and Melia, and they're they're kind of arguing back and forth their political views, and it kind of gives me an air of like a political secession drama on you know who's going to take over, who's going to lead, and Tyria thinks that she always had this disdain for Melia because like her existence was a threat to Melia in terms of succession, and Melia's existence was a threat to her, and she could be killed at any moment. And we'll learn a little bit more about that more later as we discover how this whole thing plays out. But um, it tur- everything surrounding the high ante it turned out to be pretty compelling for me, especially when you look into more of these details. And I, I kind of wish this was more in the main game, talking about the high ante of politics. Mm. It, it would always kind of just like turn into the emperor or <laughs> whatever, like delivering dialogue to our main quest and that makes sense for pacing but this stuff like i could i could have done a lot more side quests and things instead of like cooking things for people that are hungry for side quests i could have used some more political drama side quests oh sure some intrigue sure tyria argues that protecting one's own life and line and their family is all anyone does and melia is no different from her you too would take the lives of your own people to protect your bloodline melia you too are nothing but an assassin ryan steps in delivering his uh 401 master class on high anti succession straight to Yumea. He isn't mansplaining. He, in this case, he's homsplaining. Just like, this is how homs do it. So just shut up and do it the way we do it. Say, kind of like how when Melia was having her trial and they were like, you can't go interrupted against, against the rules. And uh, Ryan and Dunman were like, well, we don't care about your rules. We're homs. We do whatever the fuck we want. Ryan says that Melia was chosen because of how she lived her life, not because of her blood. And we actually know that that's uh, factually wrong. There's an entire temple of high anti robot spirits that says otherwise, Ryan, because mm. they specifically analyze the percentage in her blood and deem her worthy of leading uh, on that basis alone. So Ryan was there for that, I believe. Maybe not. Maybe he came in later. So there's a lot of interesting discussion on that, and it's hard to encapsulate everything in, in our discussion here. So that might be worth checking out if... Um, you guys haven't done that yet but ultimately it's interrupted by mama charla she wants the kids to all go play outside and that is when tyria sneaks out in the middle of the night um she she's still laying on that operating table when everybody leaves so she's outside colony six and she finds some random ether pocket in the middle of nowhere and Bam, there's a vision of a Telethia floating in the sky in front of her. It's almost like she's in a trance viewing the Telethia in front of her. It's like a vision or something as this... Man, I don't remember this. Jeez. As this ether pool is coalescing. That happens, scene ends, and then soon after, what do you know? Telethia is attacking Colony 6 and the whole place is on fire. So I guess I'm rebuilding everything again. (laughs) (laughs) You're thankful you didn't get as far as you wanted to before then. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So uh, the party immediately comes to the conclusion that it's Tyria because she's missing. So good for you guys. Uh, That's actual deductive reason happening. Uh, High Antia person went missing until Athea showed up. But Melia says it isn't Tyria and that there's got to be a different explanation. 
And so a minute later, the quest has me warp to Machna Forest, uh, that spot where Shulk first met Alvis and fought at Telethia is where they want us to go. Yeah, you know, I didn't think it was going to be there. In my head, I thought it was going to be in that withered part of the forest, deeper into the zone um, where we fought that Telethia boss. But you're right, it is It is uh, at the beach of Great Machna Falls instead. Yep. And when we get there, uh, Melia says something equivalent of, oops, I guess it is Tyria, after just saying that it wasn't her. It must be Tyria after all. But we have no confirmation of that yet. Mm -hmm. So because I just, I was following this quest line, this is where we might get into a little bit of leveling and how we we need to level up well so, so we'll we'll take a story break here after this scene because this was just happened to be the place i warped to in magna forest and warping there immediately puts you in a fight and i i thought okay i'm missing everything oh telethia have that mind reading ability to make all of your attacks miss so i gotta i gotta use Shulk's thing and then oops it's because this mob is actually level 80 and I'm level 70 and it has nothing to do with it being a Telethia. So that was where my side quest journey kind of hit a roadblock because I realized everything that's a side quest is level 80 or higher by quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. I didn't arrive at this Telethia fight in Machna Forest until I was probably level 90. Didn't follow up on the on the quest um, quite as fast as you did. But yeah, let's talk about how we <clears throat> how we leveled here. So Nate, when you finished, when you defeated Larithia, you were probably level 75 or so. Yeah, after running around the heart for a couple hours. That means there are pretty close to 25 levels that you have to kind of grind if you want to get the most out of your completionist experience. I am, by the way, folks, I am by no means trying to be a completionist in this game. I'm not here to do that. I'm here to get a lot of it done until I don't feel like it anymore. But I did get a lot of it done. Anyways, so let's talk about how we quested or how we leveled. Nate, I'm going to imagine that you probably did something like I did, and I don't have the precise brackets of levels I did, but I started with Golgols in Gower Plains. Um, those are the big gorilla monsters. And then I went to Satoro Marsh where I fought the owls and the lions at nighttime because, you know, the, the area gets juiced with ether at night and, you know, it kind of transforms these owls and, and other creatures into more powerful versions of themselves. Following that, I spent a long time in Aerith Sea defeating, uh, fighting Cromars, the dragon-like lizard beastmen um, on one of those coastlines. After that, I spent a lot of time fighting Telethia in Alchemoth. Oh, hold up. Alchemoth is a hostile area now in the endgame. Of course, the denizens of Alchemoth were transformed into Telethia in the, in the, after the events of the, uh, the, um, Mechanus Core. Uh, and, and since then, it's just, the, the entire place is still habited by these glistening blue monsters. Um, there's plenty of them that are the mantis type. There's plenty of the whale type. There's plenty of the manta ray with like a, with a person's figure and, and the, you know, kind of coming off of it. And, there's lots of grinding to be done there too. Plenty of quests as well. We'll get to that. And then when I got to where I stopped grinding, which was at about 95, I was fighting bats, spiders, bunnets, and more gogols in Tephra Cave because after the events of Makana's Core, parts of Tephra Cave have revealed themselves and are now part of the map that weren't there originally. I didn't go from gogols and Garo Plains to bats, spiders, bunnets, and gogols in Tephra Cave all in one go. This was all broken up into other questing, other heart-to-hearts as I ran into them, um, other 
colony sick stuff and elites that I, that I was killing along the way. And so, like I said, it's kind of difficult to break this all out for you, but I'm telling you my leveling component of, of how I've been playing the game lately went in that manner. So Nate, was that anything like your experience or how did you get to whatever level you peaked out at? Yeah, I peaked out at around 95 to 99. Riki is 99 because he has an experience buff gem and some passive experience buff traits, I believe. But I think my lowest one is 96 right now. It, my journey, there's definitely some overlap, but it was a little different in that I had, I, I kind of wanted to organically like do quests as I'm able to do them. If I'm in the right leveling bracket, I'll do the quests. I'll use the experience from them. But I found myself in a situation where because on the weekend I am solo watching my kid um and he he likes attention he likes hanging out he you know we spend time together but then there's just times where he it, regardless of how much attention you show him he'll just be sitting with a pile of books on the floor and he wants to kind of zone out on his own so i had a lot of sessions where it's like i couldn't really pay too much attention to the game but i could definitely grind and so i did that um i probably just grinded straight and then backtracked and slam dunked all the quests which is not typically how i like to play rpgs i like to do content as soon as it's feasible for me so an example of that would be final fantasy 12 as soon as hunts are available even if they're probably going to kick your ass i want to go give them a shot at least and see if via my tactics i can pull it off so there was there was some definitely some fights where my friends were like that one was hard for you and i was like yeah i was level 22 and they're like oh oh shit i did that at 60 <laughs> you know um so i i like to do that but this the stars just didn't align in that this case for this one where i had the time to do that so i just grinded round grinded uh, ground i i did the grind first and um mine was the like you said the goggles in gower plains the thing you can do with them is group them all up and as long as you can survive you're good and i think what i'm going to add to this discussion is my party composition on how that kind of took me over the finish line so i've talked shit about riki <laughs> on this podcast before i've been a reeky hater i'm now a reeky main <laughs> because i got an item i want to i forget if i'm picking the right one in my head i didn't write this down but i think it's called meteor biter it could be something else though but what it does is it has buffs to like built-in gems that buff all of the elements that are his status effect attacks by 50 percent which is not a small amount for uh, his status effects. Then also I gave him a bunch of ether gems and traits and things that kind of focused on his magical damage. So Riki will throw an ice block at somebody and give him a chilled effect. He pukes on them with barf and gives them poison and then ba 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 burninates them. Ba 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 burninate! And they're on fire. So that's three status effects. And two of those are AoE. He also has an AoE slap move where he hits everything in front of him three times. So with those goggles, you can get a pack of five, six, or like a couple packs of three. 
in there. And so I would just be AoEing like crazy. And so then that asks the question, how much more AoE damage can I do? So added into the mix was Fiora, who has her final cross, which when you have high tension, she can just shoot a giant laser beam at everybody. And then Melia, who has her giant, oh, she also has a giant light laser or light blast that she does at various points too, which is kind of the thing she used in her introduction where she sucked the life out of her high Antia allies and bla oh, blasted that hmm. Telethia. It's kind of a, a redo of that move. So all sorts of AOE going on. So I kind of along guard planes, you can walk on all of these platforms and fight a bunch of goggles and there's at the western edge of where those mobs spawn, there's a spot where you can legitimately get like 10 of them. And I would build up the party affinity and do a chain combo move. I was, I, I'm sure for people that like play this game to death, this number isn't that huge, but I was dropping like 150,000 damage on them, which was a lot for me at this stage. This is the first time I broke 100,000. And I was like, damn, not only did it do that kind of damage, but I did it to everyone. And so, Everybody's just doing area damage all the time, and I'm shredding these goggles. And it was dangerous at first, but after you know leveling up four or five times, the damage stopped spiking, and I was able to consistently do this. And um, yeah, that I just did my grind in that area, and then I went to Alchemoth when I was, I think, early even. So those mobs were like 85 something. I think I went there at 80 because if you're within a five level range, you can hit them. And Riki's uh, status effects just shred things. So I don't know. I, I think even with them being five levels over, I was still doing pretty good on them. I did tons of Alchemoth to the point where the Telethia gems and the like high Entia jewelry filled my bags. And I, I had to start dumping them and selling all that because it was just... Wow, you did do a lot of that. Yeah, it was just too much. And uh, I made like eight million gold or whatever it is uh, on just that trip selling all that junk that kind of took me all the way up to tefra cave and kind of wrapping up in tefra cave around 90 to 95 and then i backtracked to do you know getting back into the questing and i have to say this is probably some of the most fun i've had in the game comparable to other times where we've been given freedom like when we first stepped into gar planes and there wasn't this obviously there was the you know call to action with juju but there was also the e equivalent level of like here's a massive zone do whatever the hell you want before that the the big juju events hit <laughs> You know, mm -hmm. uh, it, it's kind of comparable to the amount of fun and joy I was having in that where it's like, hey, you know, break a leg and do whatever you want. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I I don't love leveling 20, 25 levels straight to get to end game content. I don't I don't think that's paced out very well. I know the people that like the grinding will enjoy it. But for me, I'm like just trying to get it over with so I can deliver content and try to get on to the next thing. Honestly, so so I was doing a lot of AoEing too. Um, you you mentioned you fell in love with Riki. I fell in love with Fiora and and became a Fiora main, which is funny because in the previous episode I told you that it's pretty hands off on Fiora, but I became enchanted by her AoE damage. You know, um, depending on what kind of funnels or air rods you put on her equipment, um, you'll 
probably do a big, uh, you know, AOE damage, and then of course the laser blast with her, um, with the with the other ability that I'm blanking on the name of that you mentioned earlier. I mean, I did like the freedom, but 25 levels of it. Yeah, I think they could have squished those quests down to a range of more like 75 to 85, right? And sure, and maybe have the quests award some more of that experience. There, there's an over under of it over under of it where i think the game we're supposed to go beat the game at that point we're not supposed to do the side content but we were in this kind of nebulous position of we are playing the game blind and we don't want to look up spoilers for things or like be in that position to have something spoiled for us. So we legitimately didn't know like are we going to get an end of a game warning? Are we going to get a you know th- that mm-hmm. that you've gone too far moment and so we were like we know that doing colony six is not gonna like screw us over right and so that was how i approached that that's why i wanted to do the side content first because it's like well this is something i want to do this is something i want to talk about and i don't want to get locked into well i guess we're talking about the ending this week right so that was kind of my take on it. But I think the game wants you to beat it first and then come back and clean this stuff up after. And if they made it all like if they squish it down to where it's over the course of five levels and the quests awarded enough experience to get through that, it wouldn't have had that barrier of entry. And then you would have gone and gotten that experience and then you would have trivialized the ending, which I'm pretty sure we're going to end up doing is that none of the ending bosses are going to propose any challenge to us whatsoever because we're now down on 25 levels over them. But Mm -hmm. so I think it's kind of our mistake. It's a little bit like I see the intention of the design in that why, why is it our mistake and not model the soft yeah that's what i'm saying is like see the intention of their design and why it it's kind of a good idea to create this barrier of entry but at the same time they needed to communicate clearly like you're gonna have a chance to experience end game and side quests even if you go do this, you know, and there wasn't a whole lot of communication on like essentially Dixon throwing down a portal and like, let's go. I don't know if that portal is the point of no return. Like a lot of RPGs have, you know, they have a, a point of no return. Like y- you go through this thing and you're going to be watching the end of the game. So that's where we backed off was the portal that Dixon made inside the heart. And the game didn't communicate like that in any way. So I think that could have been better done by Monolith Soft is saying like, here's what you're in for. You can go to Prison Island. You can also explore other stuff because they won't even let you teleport to the previous Prison Island teleport you unlocked halfway through the game. Mm -hmm. It kind of created this like Prison Island is this inescapable final dungeon once you go there i did go to prison island i did go there because there were some drops i need for colony six that are in prison island and i'm not going to talk about um, my experience there but i will just say that there were drops i need from nebulas to finish colony six and so i did actually go all the way up to the point of no return i'm thankful that a character turns to shulk and tells him that this is going to be the point of no return and then a prompt appears that says you're at the point of no return. Would you like to continue? Yes or no? And then the cursor begins at no, so you don't accidentally button mash yes. Yeah. At which point I turned around. Exactly. So we didn't know where that was. We did end up getting it, but 
It was a little late for efforts. I think the solution is just the the game could have taken you to the level cap with the main quest, and then everything else is just max level content. Or let's say let's say seventy five would be the level cap. You'd get there by all the way up to Lerithia, and then the ending is all tuned to be fought by a level 75 person, and then all the side content is tuned to be fought by a level 75 person. Making sure that nothing gets trivialized, all endgame is engaging, interesting content. But this game wants to give us more, more, more. And it's weird because we've never really had to grind before in this game. Like, the quests that are in the endgame don't support... (laughs) The level gap. This is the only time I've had to grind. Right. Right. Well, we were we did a lot of quests along the way. Not every Xenoblade player is going to be as uh is going to lean on quests to the degree that we do. Although I'm sure many of them do, because it's an immersive RPG experience in an open in a great big open world. Or at least it was when it came out. Definitely. Well, I think we've I think we've beaten that <laughs> That horse to death on this topic, for sure. Beating it to death. Now, we can talk about quests next. We can talk about Colony 6. I think we'll maybe make Colony 6 the last. I have my notes organized by zone from ankle to head, so to speak. Just the random quests you stumble across? Uh, n- not necessarily, but I don't want to like make you constantly scanning your notes either as you're like trying to catch up. I have a I have a thing that in all caps says post grind and then I have wrapping up Tyria and then I have basically what I would call giant quest and there's a lot of different sure. things you do amidst giant quest and then I have a couple little bullet points for side stuff and then uh heart to hearts let's do giant quest well should we wrap up Tyria since we started Tyria sure why not yeah, we'll do that. Let's do giant quests. And then at some point, I think I'm going to do like a lightning round of comments I want to make per zone. And that might be kind of fun to just snap off. I have lightning round for heart to hearts of I have 14 bullet points oh, for heart to cool. hearts. All right. Nice. Okay. All right. We'll, we'll have dueling lightning rounds. Okay. Nice. 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 Okay. I like that. Sounds good. Let's get back to Tyria. Okay. So, right. So one way or another, Nate and I stumble upon the the Telethia that we're looking for in Machina Force. Like I said, I thought it was going to be on the other side of the zone, but it's here at the falls. We think it's Tyria, but it's actually Tyria's mother, Eumea, who upon last mention was in Bird People Jail a million chapters ago. The two half-antias discuss it, and Tyria puts mom down. I pursued her so that I could fulfill her final wish. She told me that after she transformed into a Telethia, I was to destroy her as quickly as possible. She wished to sacrifice herself to the Bionis. At least, that is what I believed at first. And flies away. Melia clarifies that not all Half-Bloods have stunted wings. And then we earn an Empress Staff, which boosts our lightning elemental damage, boosts our health, and gives unbeatable, which is a chance that damage that should kill you will just reduce you to one health. What do you think about the revelation that... About Yumea, yeah. um, I, I like that. I like. I wanted to catch up to Yumea again because she was a pretty interesting character when we, when we first met her, and we literally never heard from her again. This conversation is teeing up Melia's arc, the end of her arc, because the little 
morsels of the end of her arc that we've tasted so far from her have been very melancholy. Melia is relinquishing the pursuit for Shulk's heart. She's a refugee among her own race. Her father died in front of her. Her half-brother was mutated and corrupted uh, before her as well. Betrayals, apocalypses. Everyone's contending with challenging things right now, maybe with the exception of Ricky, but this is just another like blow that she's suffering. It's not a happy ending for her as, as it appears right now. However, a little beacon of light is this mutual understanding between her and her half-sister about what ought to be done about mom. And by the end of the conversation, we do manage to have an understanding between Tyria and Melia, which is kind of nice. And the discussion with Tyria is that Yumea approached her essentially knowing that she was going to be transformed. Like, as a Bionite Order person, you know that this is what's going to come of things. And there's a little bit of extra context here that I'll get in right after I say this, but essentially Yumea knew that Tyria might not actually transform. And Yumea wanted Tyria to be the one that put her down and eliminated her. So there's a little bit of conflict in the character. Like, you know, maybe we don't, we don't have this context, but Yumea was maybe raised in the Bionite Order, part of this group, and, and didn't really have these choices in her life. This is just who she was and was meant to be as a consort, mm -hmm. etc. But for her child, who... I guess I have to just explain the circumstances. So um, we, when we get back to Junks, uh, Tyria's maid visits us, and there's a, a little extra exposition. And essentially that... She learned in time when they were all in Alchemoth jail, the, the maid, Tyria, Yumea, um, the, the maid learned that Tyria was conceived via a ritual with the first consort. So even though the first consort is high Entia married to the emperor, there's other people, you know, in the mix, apparently they, they don't, they don't elaborate too much on this, but conceived via a ritual and that her father was also half Homs as well. When it was discovered that the father was half Homs, the father was thrown out of the Bionite order, and Yumea was to rid herself of Tyria. They don't say how, but they just say you're you're to be rid of this child who is not pure-blooded. But she didn't. She defied the order. And so it's kind of implied that uh Tyria's status as one of these masked assassins was to kind of hide her in her mother's presence you know hey you can be around me we could you can be present but people won't know who you are they won't know that you're my daughter but we can still be together and so it's adding a lot of depth to Yumea's journey and so that that was where that conflict comes from of Yumea is a diehard by a night order person but she also has love for this child who is not a pure blood and essentially protected her from being killed so through actions there's conflict of character and when I spoke past episodes or maybe even last episode about how I I was kind of over Larithia because there were just they weren't presenting any depth to her they weren't presenting a journey or or a story or motivations this is exactly mm -hmm. what i'm talking about is we have these characters that they kind of put in the trash bin a chapter or two after we met them and it turns out they have way more detailed backstories and depth to them than the one that kind of sat there cackling at us from their uh, big evil whatever what, what are they called the the havers unit mm -hmm. she sat there cackling at us from our havers unit for however long 
And it's like, I, I would much rather have Yumea be the villain, the one that kind of stuck it through and have all of these like complex motivations of her trying to carve out a place for her legitimate family line amidst the complicated and blatantly racist uh, politics of Alchemoth at this point, because you've got both sides are kind of expressing some version of racial superiority. And in this case, it's understandable because there is a certain part of their race that is going to turn into destructive, mindless beasts, but that's neither here nor there. So yeah, ultimately, I, I find this way more interesting than the main Bionite Order villain they gave us at the end. Good deal. Ooms? Giants? Giants? <laughs> Dead giants? I think what kicks, what kicks it off is the Osei Tower, and uh, the guy gives us a quest to unlock the... Resage Summit, right? I'll, yes. I'll let you take this one because I chatted quite a bit on that one. Right. A high Antia. So in Valak Mountain, a high Antia named Zane suggests I collect the giant's treasures and hand them over to the Three Sages Summit. I already have two. I got one from a quest line in Satoru Marsh, in which we had to kill a giant white spider that was actually in Gower Plains. And then the other one was. Goodness. I have to look this up. Machnophorus Agni, right? Was it? Oh, okay. Thank you. Machna Forest, the Agni Tomb. That's where we got the second treasure. But the third one is going to take us a lot more time because it is a high-level questline in Tefra Cave. So let me look at my notes here. Um, right, I already have two. So let's go to Tefra Cave. Now, like I mentioned, there are, there are new areas of Tefra Cave there. And one of the areas that we run into first is Balfagar Tomb. And there is a Ham research in there. We do quests for her and unlock even more new rooms. All of these rooms have cubic bricks for walls, each scratched with fun designs, and it feels like we're inside of a pyramid in the middle of this cave. We eventually find a prayer room, which points us to a fresh destination called the Path of Absolution, in which we find a pristine white flower at the end, an ancient lily. Elsewhere, we find a sacrificial tablet and then one simple puzzle later, we open another hidden room and collect the Moonlight book. Between this book and uh, another book that I don't have the name of, we hand it over to the researcher who tells us this giant's fate is linked to giant white spiders. Balfagar, this giant whose tomb we're crowding around, was the giant's soothsayer. A soothsayer is a, a scryer, a seer. And I kind of wondered in my head that if Alvis is a giant, wouldn't he be related to, Balf to Balfagar? Anyways, according to the researcher, the soothsayer subjugated the white spiders, but when Balf died, the spiders got released. And that's the end of the questline. At this point, we earn the truth of the giants, the final of three giant artifacts. I need to access the hidden temple atop Valak Peak at the Three Sage Summit. So let's go there. So we get there and I unlock the Three Sage Summit by putting in three glowing white artifacts into a stone door. When we open it, we're waylaid by a level 99 invited Slobos, that giant Ganon fucking crystal on his back uh, brute. He invites himself into the Three Sage Summit summit after us and so we have we have to fight this guy in this rather tight quarter or maybe you kite him outside i don't know i fought him in the quarter because i was level 95 by then and he wasn't too hard to take down anyways we walk through these gothic halls lined by eagle-like hyentia statues and open a giant gothic chest containing 
Titan Plate, Titan Greaves, and Artie Drones. Now Titan Plate is it's the heavy armor set that is the most physical defense in the game. I'm, I think, don't quote me on that, but it sure looks like it to me. And Artie Drones, well, those are the funnels slash air rod equipment that you can put on Fiora. But this particular one, we didn't actually talk about this in other episodes, but the, the drone equipment makes Fiora's skill in the center of her skill bar uh, different. That unlike other characters in our in our quest here, her special ability is very modular according to what drones she has on her back. And in this case, the RD drones gives a big passive ether defense buff. And then when you use it, it cleanses herself of any negative status effects. Oh, and then we also get one other equipment from the Three Stage Summit Final Cut, which is a weapon for Fiora, but this one wasn't as impressive to me as um, the other items were in the chest because I already had a stronger weapon for Fiora at that time. So Tyler, this is the culmination of everything we've done on Giants. I, I was talking about this place back when we first visited Valak as if it was like, you know, in Legend of Zelda where you find the, the place where the sages sealed Ganon and it was this, in some games you have to use some treasures to unlock a pathway to some like crazy revelation mm -hmm. or something, or like a cutscene that shows the history of where everything went wrong or whatever. This was something I was looking forward to like, oh, when am I going to finally open up that big fucking door in Valak? And like when I got the quest here, it was like, oh man, it's involving that thing I did way back then. And it's the, the mid-level one. And now there's this end game quest and it's going to all come together and you go in and it's just a stupid sarcophagus yeah and nothing else there's no like lore revelations there's no history of the giants other than like in tefra we learned they all died to spiders you mean <laughs> the thing i beat as a boss on chapter two yeah that's the one fucking or chapter was three. it three yeah fucking spiders killed these guys like what is going on here and uh no that's it also, what is Machina loot doing inside of a giant chest? Oh, great idea. Yeah, great question. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Anyway, that's it. That's it. Special shout out to Final Marcus. I was I was just going to say that. Uh, <laughs> Spoiling your fun. Yeah, and the giants have blue balls and I have blue balls. So uh, there it is. Um, lore, blue lore balls. Yes. Blue lore ball. To vent my frustration, I go outside and I take on final Marcus, <laughs> uh, seeking some kind of catharsis for this travesty of buildup. He's elite. He's level 100 and his name is Final. This guy is the Omega weapon of this game. Assured, right? I don't know. I saw a level 114 guy also in this zone. Well, anyway, I'm, I'm doing narrative buildup that apparently isn't paying off either. So he... You know what? I'm, I'm going to keep it quiet. I'm sucking the joy out of this. No. No, it's fine. Um, so, so this guy is like, he's got to be this game's Omega weapon for sure. And uh, he, he dies in about a minute. His treasure chest contains loot I already have and is also a downgrade. And um, I don't know. It's, it's just all disappointing i was this this was the spot i thought this was the truly test your metal area mm -hmm. here i figured it final marcus you got to kill him and the gate's gonna open and there's gonna be this huge revelation in there or like the ultimate weapon of the game like super monado 9 is gonna be yes, in there please. but no i go and i also kill immovable gonzalez for additional catharsis because yes that guy 
fuck that guy. He was my first fuck that guy moment, and I, I finally able to dispatch him. Moved his ass to the graveyard. I did a lot of that with the elites. Obviously, they give you the the coins, but they they also give you the ability. Uh, they, a lot of them drop books to upgrade your abilities as well. They do, yes. Obviously, I'm kicking the ass of a lot of these, but there was there's also some quests we got to kill some like level 95 to 100 elites and it's like wow these, oh, yes. these fights are actually satisfying and i have to craft some special gems to not get owned by them oh yes yeah i guess the the high level elites are the end game i was looking forward to and they didn't disappoint even if some of the quest lines themselves did listen up everybody this is the tyler lightning round of comments i want to make about Quests, like I said, I've got this organized from zone to zone going up from Colony 9 to uh, Earthsea, and, and I'm just going to go here. So these were, I mean, firstly, I want to tell you that I don't love doing quest after quest after quest, and I don't feel like that this episode should set aside a bunch of time discussing the day-to-day -day issues of every goddamn intelligent life form on this Titan, but I do have a few comments about that that I do want to share with you. So, um... In Colony 9, a kid named Moritz wants Ryan to collect friendship tokens to us, but they are actually monster drops. And then when we do turn them into Moritz, he goes on to melt our heart by offering one to our lovable himbo, which unlocks Ryan's fourth skill branch, Camaraderie. And then later, I unlock Ryan's last skill branch, Impatience, by mediating a competition between a Nopan chef and a Hyentia chef in Colony 6. Yep. Skipping Tougher Cave, um, got our plane. So we did kill the movable Gonzales, but I turned my uh, attention to the Territorial Rotbart too, because he was the first non-boss enemy that was well beyond my level, and it just felt like a homecoming. We called him the Fell Reaver when we first saw him. Oh, sure, And, and yeah. it's, it's that same energy of you, the new expansion, Wrath of Lich King came out, you, you've done everything, you, you're kind of cooling down and you're like, wait, I'm going to go back and kill that fucking Fell Reaver. Um, in Colony 6, a hom named Arda says something dank is wafting out of a house belonging to a high entity named Jarell. We arrive to bust her ass on petty possession charges, but it's just her experiments. We fetch some crap for her and she gives fewer fresh drones called Elios drones. A high entia senior wants me to stop the elopement between her daughter and a hom. We fail and the couple run away to Satoral Marsh. When we do fix this, Charlotte unlocks the affection skill tree. Apparently the daughter can be replaced with another daughter as a citizen of Colony 6 and I don't know but I'm wondering, hmm. does the relationship play out the same way or is it completely different questline? I don't know that. Google knows, but I'm not on Google. In Satoral Marsh, there's a high entity named Scarlin who wants us to find the four radiance scattered around the world and will grant me something worth using in battle if I hand it over. Now, I do find these radiance. One's in the marsh, one's in Aerith Sea, one's in Mount Valak, and where was the third one? I don't remember. But anyways, when we turn them in, we use them on that platform that's right below the Hyentia statues in that big pool area. And we get attacked by a Radiant Terex, an elite pterodactyl. And then when we defeat it, we earn a Hyentia emblem. Well, what's a Hyentia emblem for? Did you do this, Nate? I did do this. It uh, lets you unlock areas that have locks on them. So there's a couple places in the Aerith Sea where you just walk up to a, a sigil and the door will just disintegrate and you can mm -hmm. go inside. There's a couple places in the High Entia tomb that react to this thing. Um, and that that opens up some more quest capabilities as well. There was a quest I did where I needed to go back in the High Entia tomb where there was a 
hidden room behind the main chamber. Yeah. Uh, it has a elite Telethia, uh, Furious Jozan, uh, level 96 elite. Um, in that room is a floating green spear filled with uh, the what we've been affectionately calling the Bionis Blast. And uh, this is, uh, I believe, where that cutscene between Lorithia and Alvis took place. Uh, that we saw them kind of conspiring. So this is how they managed to hide their efforts, is by having this little hidden room in the middle of the tomb. That's my note almost exactly. But Nate, there's broken glass on the floor. What the hell was that about? What happened there that there was broken glass? It wasn't in that scene between Lorithia and Alvis. Uh, well, there are four pods there, and there's a Telethia in the room. I, I would imagine a Telethia can't traverse the... Um, can't traverse the doorway, so I'm guessing there was a high Antia they were conspiring with that was chilling in that room, and then he transformed, and that that broke the glass. Nate, Nate, I think I got it. What is it? The boss, the Telethia boss we fought in the high Antia tomb, maybe it was released from inside that room. Yeah, so who was the high Antia that was conspiring with the two of them? I don't know. I don't know we have a name for that. Yeah. It, well, I don't know who Jozan is, but... Or if there was somebody decidedly furious that we met in Alchemoth mm-hmm. before this. Hey, one more thing about the High Entia emblem is that this unlock, the this uh, we looked around the world and we we looked for these sigils and unlocked them to get more treasures. It kind of reminded me of the Chrono Trigger pendant from Marley, where once you powered it up through the Mammon Machine, you can open up these black boxes and these special doors that are littered throughout all the worlds and all the timelines. Yeah, it seems like a lot of games have that uh, go back and re-explore everything with this new context item. And it it's a clever way of reusing content, but I also, I like those moments when you're exploring through the game the first time and you see something and you're like, what do I do with that? How do I interact with this thing? Like, I guess, I don't know. It's like a trope that JJ Abrams, JJ Abrams talks about the mystery box, but it really does work. It creates like such an intrigue to like, Hmm, I'll have to, I'll have to jot that one down in my notebook for later. Mm -hmm. Some of these chests we get from via the high into emblem, give us items from the Grace armor set, which is the most powerful light armor set in the same way that the Titan armor set is the most powerful heavy armor set. Yeah, and like I said, I mentioned there was quests that kind of uh, spiral out from having this capability mm-hmm. of entering into place that we couldn't get before. There's a little boy who says he's gonna research a cure for the Telethia to turn him back into High Antia. Mm. I'm wondering, are the big Telethia flying around? Like, I think they're the Aora Telethia. Are those like conglomerations of a lot of high antia mashed together or is that just one really powerful high antia becomes that big guy because we saw like Callion was transformed into a giant one but he was still like intact so i'm not sure how that all works yeah me either in Machna Forest, a narcissistic Nopon sage sends me on stupid errands so he can confirm Ricky as the second confirmed Hiropon. But who is the first confirmed Hiropon? Why, the Nopon sage, of course. And Ricky earns the heroism skill branch for humoring this asshole. So we have the Nopon sage. Well, the, who's the Nopon arc sage? We have no lore on the arc sage. We really don't, yeah. 
think maybe the Nopon Sage is lying about him being the first and only hero pawn oh, before Riki. I hope so. That would be great. Plus, didn't the mayor say that he selects a new hero pawn every, like, couple years? Maybe. That was in the initial introduction that he was just like, oh, I gotta pick a new hero pawn. I, get, I guess it's Riki. And Riki's like, no, it's not. And he's like, yeah, I totally saw a vision of it, Riki. Now get out of here. But wasn't he a liar? Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. But doesn't he just make shit up? Maybe. So maybe he made made up that he selected a lot of hero pawn before. I don't know. Maybe I'm I, I'm on a rabbit trail here. But No, no pawns are just liars. Speaking of lying asshole no pawn, a no pawn named Bana is discovered to be a kingpin in a red pollen orb smuggling operation. And when we call him out, an assault pterodactyl, like one of the ones we saw from the second Battle of Sword Valley cutscenes, swoops in and attacks. This was at the top of the of the Nopon village. Moving on to Aerith Sea, there are dispersed Hyentias throughout Aerith Sea. Well, throughout Bionis, but also in Sea, and the ones in Sea want me to find lost mementos and put to rest some of their former friends. Also, there are quests to turn on the transporters um, that are in the Alchemoth Citadel itself, because when you do access Alchemoth, you can't actually teleport to it. You have to access it from an Sea teleporter into Alchemoth, but all teleporters within Alchemoth are non-functioning, until you complete this quest. Um, right. Oh, well, this is a good one. One of the Hyantias in Aerith Sea, named Talia, says that the true form of the War God is at Valak, is at Valak Peak and invites Melia to check it out. We do check out this golden Hyantia statue in Valak Peak and return to Talia to talk to her about it. And this unlocks Melia's honesty skill branch, or or was it passion? I actually. Couldn't tell. Um, Fallen Arm. Orkatix looks up to Dunbin as a real man and asks him to help him figure out how to fix his stunted growth. And in helping him, Dunbin unlocks the, his final skill tree, at least for me, called Enthusiasm. Also, there's a level 105 Metcon Elite named Ancient Daedala that is running around the first beach that we appear on in the Fallen Arm area. And I have to run away from him several times while I'm looking for oil, clams, or whatever for a different quest. And my final notes are Prison Island, which I am going to pump the breaks on i just have one quest i encountered that i wanted to talk about um yeah i'm gonna call this the hide your kids hide your wife quest <laughs> um colony nine is infected with ra r romantically challenged individuals i'm gonna say, mm, i'm gonna say that mm, so mm. i'm gonna say that so if this ever makes its way into a youtube video it doesn't get suppressed so quest is as follows part one girl wants to drug her co-worker to make him love her part two guy wants to drug girl so she'll like him instead and by girl i mean Solid. i mean the same girl in the first instance so we're talking about three people here like a love triangle and then in this quest if you have melia in your party she'll ridicule her but the girl fires back that Melia wants to drug someone herself. How does she know? I don't know. But she says, like, oh, you have the Projecting look. Projecting much. Yeah, you have the look of somebody who'd do the same if you had the choice. And uh, What a bitch. Yeah. It, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> if you do it late game, choosing the route to have the guy drug the girl will lead to her being unhappy. If you do it early game well she'll eventually come around and end up liking the guy by the end so oh good very problematic result there there there's two researchers there's a, a researcher guy a researcher girl and then a soldier guy the the girl likes the other researcher the soldier likes the girl so 
there's a vision you receive where the guy researcher finds out that the girl researcher likes him and he comments about how it sounds like fun and he'll just dump her when he's done. So from that vision, I thought, you know what? I'm going to give the drug to her since in the vision, it implied that the guy she was going to use it on was going to dump her ass anyway. So I believed like everybody in this mix here deserves to be unhappy. And this would be the, the most like karmic result is she uses it on the guy. He ends up dumping her. The soldier doesn't use it on her and he can live a mildly conscious conscience. What's what do I want to? He can live a life with a mildly clean conscience. If you follow through on this, people will think she's weird and not build affinity with her anymore. Um, that's the one I did. Is this a different Colony 9 character than the one that you recruit to come to Colony 6 that's also having relationship issues? Yes, this is a different character. Um I don't, oh boy. I don't remember. It's in the water in Colony 9. Yeah, for the researchers, there's like a choice between like a Nopon and another lady researcher there. But this woman is not that one. Um, I was actually mildly satisfied with the Colony 9 lady who ended up looking for boyfriends. It's funny. I sent you a text where like essentially her personality written under her character personality was looking for a boyfriend to alarms are ringing yes so that's the only quest that kind of stuck out like a sore thumb to me as like wait sure. what the hell is going on here um for me with uh we'll get into colony six here in a second but quest design end game i found myself doing a lot of running around trying to activate things and i'm not using a guide to do this i just kind of picked up that certain conversations will just pop a quest on your on your map for no reason like mm. completely unrelated i guess in like the deep lore of the game there's probably a reason of like oh well this relationship developed between people so now the quest is available but uh for me i feel like it's interesting that this game has some areas where they give you tons of great information and tools and resources to do things that I don't care about at all. So, for example, the Collectopedia. I don't give a shit about that at all. What I would really I do. I don't know. Like, <laughs> what I would really love is beyond the affinity chart, which can be helpful for finding people and seeing when they're active. I would like a giant like quest tree of saying mm, essentially. Mm. Let's let's say somebody you know you get the little noise when you talk to somebody that like affinity was built within an area between yeah. and you it doesn't even say who it just says you know like they're talking and but something happening on your affinity chart go hunt it down you know usually there's context in the conversation but there's no indication like did that result in a quest popping did that result in something changing in somebody's behavior or that other person now has something to say that will pop affinity etc um i would like a little bit more guidance in that if i i, I mentioned this to you before if I was to ever make a video game, I'd want it to be as Google proof as possible. And what I mean by that is people are just going to go straight to Google when systems like this come up. And I would love for it to be in the game 
And I love exploring. I love going around and talking to everybody. I like being in the world and I don't want to necessarily be on my laptop looking for answers and be in menus and everything. So like maybe if your map, if somebody has one of those little affinity things, have their little green icon, like radiating energy or something. And then if there's a new quest that like is locked behind some sort of conversations, have the, it just gives some indication that there's more here. Cause I legitimately have no idea. Are there, two quests in frontier village that I missed, or are there 35 quests in frontier village that I'm missing? I have no clue mm-hmm. at all. I, the only real indication of completion that I was able to satisfiably get to was that I have affinity at five stars with all regions. That's it. And that, Same. that was the point where I just had to say like, okay, I would love to do more like world building and exploration but I legitimately don't know if I'm bashing my head against a wall by circling day and night cycles, talking to every NPC and cycling again, back and forth up and down frontier village is the worst of them. But you know, that's uh, the, every area suffers from this for the most part. So that's my main critique. And then the other thing is I would love those quests that for those, um, skill trees that the characters have Mm -hmm. where the characters are involved more i would like more of that than just the we need to make some biscuits for some kids that are hungry there are some really good ones in there that don't involve your characters that are about building relationships and helping solving dynamics between people so there's some pretty good moments in there but i'd say that's about 25% of the quests have me actually kind of caring about them and not really delivering any narrative depth whatsoever. Nate, I've got one more. I do have a Tefra Cave thing I want to share. Go for it. Then I'll fork it over to Hard Hearts. Near the end of this phase of playing Xenoblade Chronicles, I have a quest to kill two competitors who want to replace the Arachno Queen Ryan and I killed in the Tefra Cave chapter. One of them is Reckless Sanzin, a purple gorilla giant, and Firework Galdesia, a level 98 spider who dazes anybody who autos it. I have to level Colony 6 Affinity to max in order to trade Daze Resist gems to a high Entia in the Gower Plains refugee camp to have any chance to kill this thing. Overall, I was a fan of the addition of Tefra Cave. That felt like a pretty well-fleshed out area. All right, on to Heart to Hearts. Yeah. Okay, so heart to hearts, I've been kind of poking away at these as I leveled through the game, but obviously there is a um, a deluge of them at the end of the game because you won't level, at least I didn't level my affinity like all the way up dynamically. I tried to. I did not use any like gimmicks or techniques to boost my affinity building skills. Uh-huh. I just played the game normally. I gave people items. And then when I got to the end here, when I really want to do these heart to hearts, I dumped every item I could on every person based on how compatible they were with the item. Basically, everyone was just sitting around in a huddle outside of Colony 6. There's a giant pile of trash, and they all just started throwing things at each other in hopes that they could go talk to someone at a random location on the, the planet. Um, mm-hmm. And 
I did that because I wanted to see how high could I get it normally, just playing the game normally. And it got me mostly hard eyes, or I should say like 30%, the max one, and then the rest was either blue or purple between everyone else. Um, so definitely had to use an exploit to unlock the rest of these. And to me, that's just kind of unsatisfying. And by exploit, I mean just like going up and punching one of those people that inflicts a status effect when you hit them and then immediately rushing it away by touching the person. Mm-hmm. And um, oh, and earlier in the podcast when we were talking like very early in the podcast, I thought that these were actually based like these levels of affection were based on the the type of conversation that was going to happen. So like the heart emoji with the person like completely in love with one another, I thought these were going to be like that these people are in a relationship now, but that, that theory kind of went away, went away pretty early, but it comes from the fact that like the fire emblem series actually developed a mini dating sim within it where you could get you could kind of take any character you want and based on the affinity they have for one another in that game you could have them get in a relationship with each other so i was curious about that but really it turns out that every character just has a tier conversation with the other character as they're building a relationship and some of them kind of have common threads like it seems like melian and ryan are actually digging into some like high anti lore, and I'll get into that. Some of my bullet points, but other ones are just them kind of like believe in yourself. I'll be there for you, whatever. So I jotted down 14 heart to hearts that I found of interest in my end game sprint. This is not counting some of them that might've been interesting that we talked about while playing the game. These are the ones right. that I knocked out at the end here. And I definitely did more than 14, but a lot of them were not that consequential or interesting. So here I go. Number one, Sharla asked Dunman about his arm. If it still hurts, she's a nurse. She can fix it. He says he's fine. Sharla asks why he pushes himself so hard. And his answer, it's to show off when everybody's watching. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) he tells her not to tell Ryan. So... I don't know if there's a little bit of flirting going on there. It kind of felt like it, but probably innocent flirting there. Number two, Sharla approaches Fiora saying that until she met her, that she was team Melia plus Shulk. And that's going to go down a little bit of a thread here with the Melia situation, as you talked about earlier today. Mm -hmm. Um, But I also think back to, we had the little Mortal Kombat skit of... Sharla was uh, batting for Melia and Dunbin was batting for Fiora back when they were all hanging out in Alkaboth. Number three, Ricky became a hero pawn to be cuddled by Meli. He's the uh, royal plush toy choo-choo always aspired to be. If you remember, what's her name? What's her name in Xenogears? Maria. Maria, yeah. They they originally thought that uh, Choo Choo was just one of Maria's toys hanging out. So uh, Ricky's going with that energy. He just wants to hang out and be cuddled by uh, Melia all day. You have locations for these heart to hearts? I don't. I I was slamming these, so I forgot to jot them down. If this one was one that was on Fallen Arm, I've got another heart to heart in which Ricky tells Melly he's going to cook fish for her, which gives her pause. And this is amusing to me because, at least in my case, Ricky's weapon is a transmog of a fish head with a filleted spine. <laughs> 
Yeah, I it, I struggled to find a good weapon transmog for Ricky, so I went with the fish as well, because at least I can see him instead of this giant head floating around. It's funny. It's funny. I love seeing him whack people with that. All right, keep, keep it going. Yep. Number four, a late game heart to heart between Dunbin and Sharla has them talk about their likes and dislikes. And Sharla mentions Melia's too. This scene is necessitated that you have Fiora at this point. A reason I jotted this one down is this would be useful early game when I'm trying to build affinity via items to actually know some of these details organically while playing and talking with party members. They could have even had it to where you're doing early game heart to hearts. They talk about their likes and dislikes, and then it just unlocks those entries on the list. So instead of them all being mysteries that I'm spamming, just throwing junk at people, I actually know what they like, or I actually don't have to look up on Google what they like. <laughs> but that would be a, a like actually the dynamically designed element of the game where knowing those things unlocks the results in the uh, listing. Anyway, I thought this was cool that I was learning about what people like and dislike, but why is this happening at the end of the game with a very high level affinity one at a point where I don't need this anymore? Number Good point. Yes. Number five, a chat with Riki and Osei Tower. He hears the voices of Shulk's dead parents being concerned over him, and the conversation is with Dunbin. This kind of doubles into Riki's hearing things, like we mentioned with Melia hearing Kalian's spirit. So Riki has some kind of soothsayer spirit walker powers uh, that we're just learning about now. I don't, was there any hint of this early game or like him having these special abilities? I don't know. I don't think I had this heart to heart. Did you, you did all of them, right? No. Oh, you didn't do all of them. Okay, cool. Well. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Riki hears the voices of Shulk's dead parents in Ose Tower. Okay. The, the, Maybe I did this one a long time ago. Hmm. Yeah. Oh no. Number six, the Ether Store in Colony Nine, where we we went up to really early in the game, or basically the beginning of the game. That was just a crashed high Entia trading ship, and Melia points this out to Ryan that uh, like, hey, this is this is just one of our ships. Don't you recognize it? And Ryan's like, oh right i don't really notice stuff like that melia and she kind of scolds him for it but uh this is one of those things where you see a lot of in xeno gears where you're running around the world and you see all of these uh compelling majestic interesting structures and then later you just find out oh yeah that's a piece of junk from the ship mm. that fell much less of that in this game though than like the entirety of Xenogear's world being built upon that. Number seven, in Frontier Village, Fiora and Melia have a chat. Fiora says that maybe she shouldn't talk to Melia about Shulk, but they end up doing it anyway. That's what they do. That's their whole crux of their relationship is talking about Shulk. So um, it's about that lunch that Fiora had on the hilltop and Melia snaps yeah. back asking if she's about to boast about having Shulk's kids, too. So, I don't know, that's quite the leap in, I had lunch with him, and now I'm burying his children. Anyway, um, <laughs> I, I just get, like, this antagonistic tone here uh, that uh, 
It's no longer being swept under the rug that Melia wants Shulk and isn't getting him. It's like this open acceptance within the party. And I don't know when this changed because this was a plot point that was being addressed in the main narrative, but now it's all, as I'm discovering, being relegated to heart to hearts. Like Melia's closing arc is exclusively in the heart to heart space. Are you experiencing that too? Yeah. And in some ways, you know, other other proper cutscenes in the last one or two episodes we've we've had, they're all striking the same tone. It's not looking very good for her. No, and the, we will get a conclusion to that for sure. But um, So this one ends weirdly because if you get the positive outcome, Fiora says that nothing actually happened and it didn't mean anything, which would be dishonest because that was kind of a key building block moment that Fiora and Shulk reference multiple times and will talk about later as being meaningful between the two of them. The negative conversation has Melia talking about how happy her memories with her mom were, but the positive convo reminds her that she wasn't allowed to have friends growing up. So it's like you're being pushed to experience Melia's suffering in a lot of these scenes with her. Number eight, Sharla wants to talk about star sign. This is the Bionis equivalent of astrology. Her sign is the perfumer. I, I don't know what that is. I haven't heard that. I guess this is the made-up brand of astrology for this specific world. Strange. She says that it's really cool to talk about star signs with Melia because, quote, all girls love this stuff, unquote. That's a pretty bold blanket statement that might sound a little sexist, but... Yeah, it's a little yikes. I don't know, but damned if every woman I've dated didn't get aroused discussing their signs. <laughs> Watch out for those Aries out there. Number nine, Shulk to Melia. Quote, clothes really aren't that important. <laughs> Quote, unquote. What? Number 10, Melia and Ryan in the High Antia tomb. They ponder the orb, the, the big blue glowing orb in the center of the room. Melia asks, do you not have any ancient technology near your home? Ryan says, nope, the previous cutscene between the two of them had them discussing how the ether store was a high Entia ship. I actually just went and did that one. Ryan doesn't remember the conversation he had about 20 minutes ago. Beyond that, the first time you go there in the game, they talk about how the place is older than anyone in the colony remembers and they don't know how it got there. So uh, this is, we're back on Ryan being terribly stupid in this moment. Oh no. Yeah. Number 11. Riki talks about selling a giant crystal to pay off his massive debt. The game, mm -hmm. the game can't acknowledge the fact that my Riki is the true Nopon death machine he was born to be, eradicating all Tethia life. <laughs> Tethia? Eradicating all Telethia life from Alchemoth many times over and looting high Entia jewelry to the point where I couldn't carry anymore. My Riki is rich as fuck and could pay off that debt and buy Frontier Village for himself. Number 12, Fiora and Melia make a pact to keep talking about Shulk. <laughs> Number 13, Riki is applying for the position of Shulk's daddy pawn so he won't be sad about not having a family to go home to. If only Bruce Wayne had known Riki. And number 14, my last heart-to-heart -heart note, Melia's been under the impression that it was Shulk that fought to rescue her from the High Antia tomb. But a chat with Ryan lets her know that it was him that wouldn't accept her fate. She doesn't want to chat anymore after that realization. So, so that's it for my heart to hearts. They don't 
have a lot going for them and i'm not sure that they added too much to the game for me except that the one common theme going through all of them is that melia's arc concludes in the heart to hearts there's one more that i didn't write down notes for but i remember is that melia chats with sharla in prison island towards the end of the game with the max affinity rating and Melia basically admits she's giving up on Shulk. All of these different details of conversations she's had with everybody, with Ryan revealing that it wasn't actually Shulk who fought for her, with her talking to Fiora about the commitment they have to one another, with her talking to other people about her depressing and melancholy life. Melia just kind of accepts that it's her lot to be disappointed and to not get what she wants, and she moves on. And that's that. And that all happened in heart-to-heart relationship-building conversations. Everyone was, else was having a great time learning about each other, growing, and becoming better friends. And Melia just came to the conclusion that she's meant to be alone and that her life is sad. You said you got all the heart-to-hearts? Yes. Did you get anything for completing them all? An achievement. Anything else? Nope. Oh, great. Okay. So don't, you don't have to go do them all, Tyler. Not planning on it. Let's talk about Colony 6, eh? Coming into Chapter 17, about how leveled up was Colony 6 for you? In my case, I had two at level 4 and two at level 3. Yeah, I wanted to say I had everything at level 4 at the start of Chapter 17, but that was in preparation for not knowing what chapter 17 was going to hold. So I was actually Mm -hmm. planning on going all the way up to five before I started chapter 17 and I got hit with an item cock block of like, you literally can't get these. And that was the Salua, the Salua items and then the ones on Prison Isle. So I did get everything up to level four, was thinking I was going to finish Colony 6 and I just couldn't. So, yeah. The first thing I leveled to level five was housing. And this particular quest required a red frontier which appears naturally in the field only on Makanis and I don't have any more I probably put it in my collectopedia or gave it away so I need to find something that's not available conventionally and one of those ways to, to get it is to trade for it to somebody in town and I do find the person and he wants a Creare glyph C-R-E-A-R-E, glyph, which according to the tooltip will tell the truth about all creation. I give up priceless world heritage artifacts to a machina named Rizaka so Juju can build seven more houses. <laughs> For this sacrifice, the community gives me oriental glasses. I guess they're allowed to use that term because the game's made in Japan, right? <laughs> I never thought about that. Um, when I complete this, surprise quest our ether planters are under attack by one of those tentacled macons that got charla that we got charla death visions about in the call in the gower plains chapter and killing it unlocks the colony six celeb achievement this happens again later when we upgrade something else and black harpy eagles attack when i leveled nature to level four it gave us tree lined streets and ether crystals ranked up when i get special to level four it gives us a cool watchtower and we get a debuff resist gem for the trouble when it gets special to level five we get a headquarters bunker which also spawns collectibles and we earn the master glasses people really like glasses in their transmog categories yeah nature level five upgrades ether crystals again a big dirt pile i love that shot when it's like congratulations you've 
You've attained the highest level of nature. Here's some fucking dirt in a corner. Yeah, it's, it's, it's rubble in a shack. It's, it's kind of deflating, although it's dressed up to be like, congratulations. When I level commerce to level five, we get a bunch of new shops and Titan arms for the trouble. This place is really looking like a proper community now. It's more compact and I'm gonna even say more developed than Colony 9 is at this point. There are nice houses, lots of shops, um, a watchtower so we can be, um, we can notice, you know, we can be aware of our, of any invasions coming. We have a bunker that we can all huddle into as the last refuge. And when everything gets leveled up to level five, we get a large ether light that's been built. So we've seen ether lights in Colony 9, the, the hidden Machina village, and I guess this is like a community square or some sort of magical hearth fire that we can all gather around. And I get a Titan plate for that. Now once we complete everything, we're assaulted by another enemy. This is Demon King Dragonia, a level 99 honest to god dragon. It's the first time I think we've even mentioned dragon in this game, right? There are dragons in this game. They've been holding out on these dragons. We fought so many monsters, so many gargantuan brutes, but there are dragons here. What a twist. I mean, this isn't cutscene. This isn't melodrama. There's just a dragon that's skulking around the outside of Colony 6. And it is level 99. The devil put dragons here. The devil put dragons there. Don't believe the truth. Yeah, I got this guy too. And uh, it was tough, but I killed him. Yeah, I killed him too. Um, he drops an item that we need to get all of our replica monados. So another end game series of quests we could be doing is upgrading Shulk's monados. There are five of them. Rudra stabilizes attack. Agni provides high block rate. Abyss provides attack power. Saga has defense. And Dogma gives crit. I... Uh, when I'm playing Shulk, I don't usually put Shulk in the party, but when I do, I'm putting attack power on them. I just like the raw damage. I don't feel too, I don't feel like I need crit. Um, I mean, I'm level 95 right now. It probably doesn't matter what I pick for the most part, unless I'm doing super bosses, which I'm not. Yeah, yeah, we fight a great big black dragon. He drops something that we need to produce one of those replica monados. Nate, did you go for any super bosses? I don't know. Yeah, I guess I don't know what constitutes one. We saw that big ass... 114 at the bottom of Valak, and I was just Blizzard like, Belzagas. Yeah, and I was like, is this even, what is this? So I, I don't, I didn't even try it, but mm. um, I was going to say, though, the, the Monado names, one of them being named Agni, are we to infer that the rest of the Monado names are giant names as well? We have so much intel about Monado being linked to giants, but this was made by a Denizen of Mechanis, and they're naming them after giants. I'm confused. I guess there was a relationship there at one point between giants and Mechanis members, but who knows? Who knows? Well, Nate, are we off to Prison Island next? Uh, yeah, let's see. I have everything accounted for from what I wrote down, so I believe so. All right, Nate. Well, we're headed to the end of the game next episode. Are you excited about this? Are you dreading it? We've been playing this game for so long. Yeah, I'm excited for it. We we haven't... I guess the sum total of how long we've been playing the game, for me, it's about 155 hours, and that includes some time where the game just sat idle while I was doing other things as this is a very much a game you can easily set down <laughs> and go do other things and then come back to it for sure. Um, really it's, it's, it's probably in the same vein of the amount of time it 
maybe not hours wise, but the amount of time it took me to get through Xeno Gears as well. So I I was kind of up for it already when I when I started this journey because I just finished like a nine month stint of playing Xeno Gears at, at random intervals when I was available. But yeah, I'm excited to be done with it and I'm excited to see how they wrap it up. Also, with the knowledge in my head that there are two sequels that take place in the same world, because there's definitely this lingering thought in the back of my mind that like these characters talk about this like singular world that they exist on, but it's absolutely not the the uh, entirety of what's going on. So I'm curious to see what revelations or outcomes come from uh Saving the world. Saving the world from Zanza. We haven't said Zanza this entire episode until just now. To be honest, I was a little Zanzaed out at this point. <laughs> might, might have been what inspired my rant from last episode was like, let's just be done with this guy. The, the drill rant. We're, we're coming for you, Zanza. Yeah. We're coming for you, Dixon. And Alvis, we're going we're gonna to learn about what you want us to do. Big time. This has been a production of Hero with a Thousand Potions, recorded on November 7th and 8th, 2022. Email us at at gmail.com. That's one zero 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 potions Also on Discord, which you can access via our podcast's description paragraph. And we're on Twitter, too. My name's Tyler. And I am Nate. And born in a world of strife against the odds, I can feel my power returning to me. Wake up. 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 <laughs> Do you know what I'm referencing? <laughs> I think I, you're, you're grinding affinity. Exactly. Amazing. <laughs>
Yeah. <laughs> I, I can probably... I actually I got to the point of no return as well, and I have all mm. my I have all my notes for that up to that point, and so basically I just have the last boss ending to do, and so I can probably turn that around pretty quickly. Great, yeah, it'll it'll go fast. Cool. All right, L- let's kill this, huh? That'll yeah. do it for this episode. This has been a production of Hero of the Thousand Portion. You're doing it on purpose at this point. I'm not. I I can tell you what's going on. I'm looking at the next word is recorded and i'm looking at potions and recorded and i'm putting the two words together like as if i'm dyslexic maybe i am dyslexic this has been a production of here with a (laughs) thought i'm laughing because you think i'm doing it on purpose i'm porpoise